Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, you ready to stand? We're going to give our attention to God's Word, um, what the Bible says about um, creation. Starting at Genesis um, chapter 1, just going to read the first five verses there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that's interesting because you think the beginning of the Bible was all positive, right? We haven't had the fall of man yet, right? It's, it's uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But notice the next line. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, I'm not going to read this whole chapter, though I I recommend you read it. But I want you to see the rhythm to it, right? Let there be, God said, and there was, and God saw that it was good. So that's going to happen every day of the six days. Let there be, and there was, and God saw that it was good, and it was a morning, and it was evening and morning of the first day, and it was evening and morning of the second day. We're going to go right on through the rhythm of creation John chapter one, the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made uh, was made. Not anything that was made was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God bless this reading of your holy, infallible word. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. It stands forever. And aren't we glad? Amen. Be seated, please. So there's no question really more significant to us Then the question, who made you? Where did you come from, right? Who are your people, right? Who, who, um, who's your daddy, right? Who, um, who made, there's an insatiable desire uh, to know. So with genetic advances and DNA, um, uh, there's a company called 23andMe and people um, submit their blood, you know, and they can figure out where they're from, what people um, they're from. Um, I always told people I was Dutch. You know, I look uh, Dutch, pale, and, um, and um, uh, cheap. And, um, but um, uh, in fact, I'm Irish uh, more than I am Dutch, right? Which explains nothing. Uh, but the, um, 
but even more so, think of people who are adopted, people who don't, sometimes people take these tests and they weren't adopted, they grew up with a mom and dad, but they discover that they have half brothers or half sisters. Mom and dad didn't tell them some interesting, sometimes, some of you in this um, uh, room have discovered uh, brothers or sisters you didn't even know were out there, half brothers and sisters. And of course, if you're adopted, sometimes it's, it's your parents themselves uh, that are discovered because we have a desire to know, right? Who made us? Where did we come from, right? We have this, um, it, it matters to us. So this business of creation is not just philosophically or scientifically important, but it's so deeply personal, right? Um, and the Bible begins with a slam dunk right off the opening tip, you know? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's said that if you believe the first 10 words of the Bible, then nothing else in the Bible is going to be difficult to believe. The first first 10 words of the Bible are that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. If you believe, because the Bible says some amazing things. The Bible um, says that um, that God separated the, um, the, the sea and allowed the um, Israel, uh, people of Israel fleeing um, Egypt to pass through, and then he closed it on the Egyptian army. The Bible talks about a few loaves and fishes feeding a 1,000 people, right? The Bible talks about healings, even resurrection from the, the dead, phenomenal um, things, virgin birth. Who can believe some of this stuff? If you can believe the first 10 verses of the Bible, the rest of it is a piece of cake right? That everything that is was created by the word of God, by the word of his mouth. That's what the confession says that we're studying this month. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Now there are those who reject a Christian view of, um, of creation and argue instead for self-creation, where everything we see, everything that is, all its design, all its majesty just popped into being. Now a non-Christian, Nobel Prize winning physicist said the idea of spontaneous generation where something suddenly by itself emerges out of nothing is scientifically untenable, okay? Um, If you think it takes faith to believe that God created the heavens and the earth, try this faith, that nothing created the heavens and the earth, that it just appeared. Um, This is scientifically untenable. In the 18th century, the, the most prevalently held doctrine of Christianity all over the world, by non-Christians, by other religions, what doctrine do you think that was? It was the doctrine of creation. Everybody in the world believed in creation. Why? I mean, it was established not only by revelation, because the Bible says, but also by reason. Not only by religion, but by science. The idea that something could come from nothing has always been regarded as absurd and illogical, right? I heard somebody say at Christmas time a couple weeks ago, they said, you may be assailed as a Christian for believing in the virgin birth, but those who are not Christians 
believe in the virgin birth of the entire universe, right? Um, listen, there can be a big bang. Million miles, of, you know, um, millions, billions of years ago, that light traveling away from the center of the universe that's being discovered by telescopes, it's fascinating. But it doesn't explain what it was that caused that energy, what it was at the heart of that explosion, right? Um, spontaneous um, self-creation uh, takes tremendous faith. Listen, I want you to know that Genesis 1 is not a detailed description of how God created. I'm not gonna tell you the age of the earth. I don't know the age of the earth. The Bible doesn't teach the age of the earth. One thing where Christians get in trouble is when they decide that they're gonna teach things the Bible doesn't say. They're gonna go beyond the Bible. Don't go short of what the Bible says, but don't go past what the Bible says um, either when you're teaching the word of God. You can't find the age of the earth proclaimed um, in the Bible. And in fact, Genesis um, chapter one isn't a description of how God created the earth so much as it is the celebration that he did. If you want a more um, sort of historical account, it's actually in Genesis chapter two. What you find in Genesis chapter one is clearly a song, right? It's, um, it's strophic, it has repetition, it has stanzas, it, you know, it, it's patterned. You know how sometimes in worship I hear people say, I don't like, um, the music and worship because we sing the same thing over and over. That's actually called a chorus, right? Um, or it's actually just like the Psalms because if you read the Psalms, what do you see? Uh, because it's music, because it's song, because it's uh, constant repetition, right? And that's what we find, evening and morning, right? It was morning, it was evening and morning of the third day, evening and morning, and God said, let there be, and there was, and God said it was good, and it's over and over and over. Um, this is a celebration. Uh, Genesis 1 is a song celebrating, this is my father's world. Think of kids on Christmas morning, I don't know if this happens in bitter Wisconsin on Christmas, but uh, certainly it could in Florida. Uh, kids get up on Christmas morning, got little kids, and maybe mom opens the blinds and there in the backyard is a playset, a playground that dad has created. He's been up all night trying to put it um, together. And there it is and the kids go gonzo over a playground, right? They get a playground, that's for us. We get to play there. That's how you should feel reading Genesis chapter one. Your father has made this incredible playground for you and it should fill us with wonder. So let's look at it together, you ready to go? Here we go, first of all, let's talk about the design of creation. The design of creation. Genesis one celebrates this, the patterned, repetitive text reveals the orderly, purposeful way God created, right? You don't get a sense that on day two, day three, God thinks, you know, I forgot something on day one, let's go back, you know, or, um, or I don't know, I'm changing the whole plan, uh, you know, let's go. No, there's, there's a, God knows what he's about, and we get this picture of, uh, of the architect, the builder, putting it all together. Now, how did the Bible um, start? We read it again when we read the beginning of Genesis. It says the earth was formless and void. The earth was formless and void and darkness there, and the Holy Spirit hovered over the deep. So what we find in Genesis chapter one is day one, day two, day three are the setting of the form of the creation. 
Uh, it was formless, so it has to have form, right? It has to be framed. And then in day four, five, and six, we have the filling. It was formless and void. It was formless and empty. Now it's going to be framed and then filled, right? So on day one, what's the first part of that frame? God creates the cosmos, right? And day two, what does God do? He creates the sky and the sea. And day three, he creates the dry ground, right? That's the form. So what happens on day four? It corresponds to day one. Into the cosmos, God inserts what? The sun, the moon, the stars. He forms it, then he fills it. Day two, remember, it was the sky and the sea. So what happens on day five? God fills it, he's formed it, he fills it with the birds of the air and all the creatures of the sea. And then day three, he creates the dry ground. Day six, he fills it with what? All the amazing animals, all the worms and crickets and nasty little things. And, and, uh, and in, in the penultimate act of creation, he makes man, uh, male and female, in his own image. Glorious, glorious creator God. So there's order, there's purpose, there's planning, there's design, right? Got it? Now, two quick implications. The first is this, um, that uh, this is the basis for modern science. Scientific progress is a product of Christianity. Eastern religion couldn't really, science couldn't thrive in the Eastern culture and world because they don't believe the world actually exists. It's an illusion. Physical, the physical is not real. It's not a real good environment for scientific endeavor, right? Christianity was the basis of modern science. The universe isn't random. It operates according to fixed laws because it was designed by a rational God. I haven't got more time for that. You can read whole books uh, about that. But science is not the enemy of Christianity. Christianity is the very uh, seedbed of science. Got it? Rational, orderly, God, there is a design. But second is, this is intensely uh, important, it's the basis for human prospering. God doesn't create the world and then say, now figure it out. Trial and error. Just do your best. You'll find what works and what doesn't, right? No, God actually gives direction uh, for how humans can flourish um, in his creation. And the, the clear uh, implication is defy the designer, right? And you won't flourish. You know, when you got a package for Christmas, especially when you had little kids and you had to assemble something for Christmas morning, you'd scramble in the package and sometimes, to your horror, you'd discover there were no what? Directions, right? There's no directions. And, and what you build ultimately looks nothing like the front of the box, you know, when you get finished. Follow the directions. It's a simple thing, right? The creator gives direction and give heed to his direction. You might say, where is that direction? It's called the word of God. But if you want an abridged version, you might go to the 10 commandments, right? So what's the first commandment? Don't have any other gods before me. Make me the object of your affection, the center of your life and, and the world, because that's the way it is. I'm the creator. Uh, I'm God. I love you like no other, right? So don't, uh, and don't make idols. Don't make um, things that are, um, don't, don't give your affections to the creation over the creator, right? Don't try to get life from marriage and family and work and wealth and sex and these kind of things. They're wonderful things. I made them for you. But um, don't make idols out of those 
things. God would say, remember the Sabbath um, day. There's one day set aside for you to come and meet with me, for you to be rejuvenated and refreshed because I care about you. I care about the um, laborer. It's the first day of the week, the Sabbath day. Now, what happens when we defy the design? We live in a modern world in which people say what? Well, are we gonna go to church this week? No, um, we're going to Disney. Let's go to Disney. Let's go to Disney World, right? Um, on, instead of church. Um, are we going to go to church? Well, we can't because it's travel, you know, volleyball, it's travel soccer, it's travel baseball, it's travel whatever for the kids. That takes precedent over um, God's design for us, right? God's parents, follow the design, follow the design, right? Um, what about um, honor your father and your mother? Respect authority, um, God tells us. You know, I always th thought of, uh, it's crazy that, that, take a basketball coach. A basketball coach um, would teach his players, when I tell you to do something, what do I want to hear out of your mouth? I want to hear two words. What are those two words? Yes, sir. However, when the referee is officiating the game and the coach is constantly criticizing the referee during the game, what is he actually teaching the players? Don't respect authority, Right? Don't respect, that's the authority over this game, but I'm not respecting it, and yet I want you to respect my authority. Now I bring that up because I'm a pastor and I actually teach things like the 10 Commandments, and yet every basketball game I ever played in or attended in my life, I disrespected the authorities, and it was humiliating, and uh, finally I had to quit playing. I even had, I even had to sit in our gym up in the um, skybox um, with a glass between me and the court because I couldn't control myself. You see, the, you see the conflict of that? It's just like people who have signs or they laugh at signs that uh, disparage the President of the United States in vulgar ways. You know, that same father who uh, parades that sign around um, someday may have his teenager, when he tells his teenager, you can't do this or you can't do that, the teenager might look them right in the face and say, Screw you, Dad. And we'll wonder, where did they get such an idea that it was a good thing to disrespect authority, right? So we got design. How do human beings flourish? It's right here. I mean, the Bible says, don't be unfaithful to your spies. Love, uh, don't love yourself more than others. Don't use your words to injure. Don't be deceitful. Don't be envious and discontent and want what other people have. I mean, read the instructions. Read the instructions. What if they dropped you off the Great Barrier Reef amongst sharks? And you said, I'm not going down there, that's crazy. There's hungry sharks in there, but they gave you a fly swatter, right? You'd say, that's not what it's for, you know? Um, or what if, what if you, had, you were in your kitchen and you were eating dinner and there was a fly and it was irritating and it, and it, it was buzzing around and land on your ear, land on the food, gross. What if you pulled out your, um, your spear gun to, to kill the fly? It wouldn't go well, would it? It's not wise when we ignore the design of something, right? And so here we have it. Um, God's given us, you know, why do we feel so dirty when we indulge in something sleazy on, on the computer or TV? Why do we feel so discontent when we spend too much money or time shopping, indulging ourselves on something we don't need, right? Because we're acting out of design, out of the way we were made. 
And why do we feel so alive when we worship? Why do we feel so good when we serve? We do something for other people instead of ourselves because we're flourishing, because this is the way the creator made us. So one of the thrills of Christmas, uh, post-Christmas this year was having um, three of our grandkids for a week without their parents. And and so every um, night when we went to put their um, boys to bed, they pray this prayer and they pray it by heart. They know it by memory. Um, It's this prayer, Compline it's called. It's an old Anglican prayer book, prayer. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake, amen. And when I was a kid, I used to pray what? Now I lay me down to, this is a little more meaty, isn't it? And they, and they pray it every night, and they pray it by memory. And it's so beautiful because it's according to what? Our design. It's who we were made to be when the creature goes to bed at night resting in the creator. Got it? Second, not only we recognize the design but the goodness of creation. The song of Genesis 1 is a a crazy declaration that the material, physical world was good. That idea was radical in the ancient world. In in Greek thought and in the ancient world, the physical world was considered dirty and foul. The spirit is good, the mind is good, but the flesh is the the prison house of the soul, right? Physical is is dirty. I remember uh, seeing uh, a Hindu funeral, actually it was the funeral of of Gandhi and... um, Indira Gandhi, and they um, built a funeral pyre, you know, this big stack of wood, and then they put the corpse on the, on the fire, and then they light the fire, and, uh, and then a priest circles the fire with a stick, and, uh, and, he, and he, he strikes the abdomen, and he strikes the legs, and he strikes the body as he walks around, and then the most gruesome thing, he gets around to the head, and with the biggest the wallop of all, he smacks the skull. Well, this is the idea, right? That inside the physical body, which is to be burned because it's corrupt, it's foul, it's awful, we need to cast it off, lies with something good, right? The soul has to be released in in death from this corrupt body. Well, that's not Christianity. Um, That's, you know, that's why Christians uniquely practice burial, right? Um, This kind of um, thought led to aberrant thinking, right? that physical labor was demeaning. That's why you had to have slaves in so much of the world because to actually do physical labor was beneath, it was the work of the beasts, right? That's why we had to declare slaves in our own country to be without souls, not worthy of education or religion. They couldn't be saved anyway. They didn't have eternal souls. They were just donkeys. They were just beasts of burden, even though they looked like um, people. They, They had to do this demeaning, That's why sexual pleasure was considered polluting, why even suffering was good, um, that God loves asceticism. He he wants you to deny yourself pleasure simply for the self-denial. Reminds me of the little kid sitting in church, just a 
you know, two or three-year-old by his mother, um, turning around, laughing, giggling, entertaining the people a few pews back. And uh, finally, his mother reached over and smacked him. And uh, she was heard to say, stop smiling. You're in church. Stop smiling. You're a Christian. Um, that's, not the, that's not it. Creation, God says, over all creation, what? It was good. It was good. It was good. Everything, God looked at everything he made and said it was very good. Last week, if you were here, when you walked out of church, this is what you saw. Oh, my goodness. Good, good, very good, right? It was just this beautiful cornucopia. Uh, it was a, it was a, um, it was a low country boil of donuts uh, rolled out on uh, and in the midst of, of all this ecstasy, there was bacon, bacon over the top, what people couldn't eat all over the world for, for even still people in the world won't eat it. We had bacon in church. Glory. You know, it's fascinating. When God created Adam and Eve, he used his hands into what? He made them out of what? Dirt, out of dust. Adam and Eve are gardeners. You know, Jesus himself was apprentice under his father. We like to say he was a carpenter, but probably a much better translation of that word is he was a stonemason. He worked with his hands, he did physical work. God puts on flesh, the incarnation. Jesus' first miracle, he turns water into wine. What was the wine for? Well, just hydration. No, it wasn't for just hydration. It was for pleasure. It was for joy. It was for celebration. It was for delight. When Jesus dies, he doesn't just die to cover our sins, but also three days later, he does what? His physical body is resurrected from the dead. God loves the body. He loves his creation. The physical world is good. God created the world to enjoy, and one of the ways we worship him is by enjoying it. It's a sin not to. We are to love, care for, explore, and delight in what God made. We are to, made to enjoy a lover's kiss, a king's bay sunset, beignets, a shrimp po' boy with, with an awesome remoulade sauce, stone crabs, and a really good key lime pie. Come on, can I hear an amen? Wake up out there. We're talking food. Um, God made it. So we took our grandsons to Bush Gardens. And uh, at Bush Gardens, they have a ride called the Congo River Rapids. And uh, you sit on this big raft with about five, six other people, and, um, and you go down this very rapid river and you go under waterfalls and there's, you know, cannons of water shoot out the side. And by the time you're done, you're soaking um, wet. And when we pulled up to the end of the ride through all this turbulent water and getting soaked and the water splashing over the side, the youngest, the five-year-old of the grandkids uh, with us, you know, shaking the water out of his hair with wide-eyed wonder. He says, I do not, I don't know how anybody survives that. <laughs> it's just a childlike joy and laughter and wonder, right? That should be us. That should be God's people in God's world, right? So thirdly, design, um, goodness. You see the governance of creation, 
God not only created the world, but he governs it, he reigns over it, he sustains it, he directs it. He didn't just, he didn't just um, wind up the clock and let it run, and then God created it. It was a lot of work, it was exhausting, he's just in Aruba now, right? No, he governs it, he rules it, he reigns over it, he sustains it. He's involved in every part of it, right? This is our Father's world. He's completely in charge. If you wanna hear something that'll change your life, just lean into what I'm saying right here. His hand may be unseen, but his rule is absolute. I mean, do you understand the extent of, of what we call the providence of God? God's providence in the confession. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. He reigns, he rules over everything. He knows every sparrow, the Bible says. He knows every hair on your head. Not that hard in some cases, actually. Abraham Kuyper said, um, there is not one square inch of all of creation in which God does not declare over it, this is mine. This is mine. Everything. There is no luck. There is no chance. There is nothing random or outside his control. He controls. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say like a terrible fire, a terrible tragedy, a tsunami, many people die. Uh, and, and, and they'll say, God had nothing to do with that. God had nothing to do with that. God had nothing to do with that evil. Don't blame God for that. Well, the point is, that's not comforting. It's not comforting to think that all kinds of things could happen to you and God has nothing to do with any of those things, right? You know, he's really a good guy. He's really a good guy, but I mean, you know, there's just things he can't stop. That's hardly comforting, right? He's in charge of everything, everything. Fires, earthquakes, tsunamis, right? Um, there's nothing outside his control, not COVID, not Vladimir Putin, not what you're gonna have for lunch or the score of the Bucks playoff game. He is gonna make the Cowboys lose, though. Almost, almost. Just say, that's a word of prophecy, word of knowledge. He is, um, he is sovereign over everything. Events of our lives are not random. He is always at work, always. Listen, you go out to your car in the morning, you put the key in and you turn it and the car doesn't start. You got a big meeting, you got to get somewhere on time and your car doesn't start. And your spouse isn't there. Does God have nothing to do with that? No, God has everything to do with that. Well, what's he doing? I don't know, we don't know. We're not gonna know what he's doing. We don't know what the purpose is that our car won't start on that day and we can't. Does that mean some pickup truck would have hit us if we had actually, no, I don't know. Maybe it means nothing except for you miss your meeting. I, I, we don't know what God's doing in the world, but he's in charge of everything. And he knows what he's doing. And we can rest in that, we must rest in that. The goodness of God allows us to trust God even in the darkest days of our life. His governance is wise and we trust him even when that child is miscarried. Even when we lose our job unjustly, even when our spouse leaves us and even when the doctor says, it's bad, it's really bad. God's in charge, he's in charge. Not everything is good. The Bible doesn't say everything is good to those who love God, right? There's very bad things that happen. 
But the Bible says that every bad thing, everything, God works for good, accomplishes good, for his glory, for his church, and for his people, everything. But it's a journey to learn to trust him, isn't it? It's a journey to learn to trust him in the dark. I've told the story too many times to tell it again, but I learned a lesson one day in my life. My firstborn son was only about seven years old and he needed surgery for a tumor on his spine. And um, we took him to Shands Hospital. The surgery was horrific, it was seven hours. And I thought he was dead when we got him back in the um, recovery room. And uh, the whole week spent in the hospital was horrible. I could recount it all to you. It was, it was just horror upon horror upon horror. Finally, our son came home. We were filled with uh, relief and rejoicing, except for the phone rang immediately. It was the surgeon saying, I didn't get the tumor. We have to do it all over again. And at that moment, I went face to face with God and I said, this will not stand. Listen, I know I'm a pastor, and I know I'm a fake, and I know I'm a fraud, and you know it, and you need to blow me out of the water. Good, have at me, but leave my son out of this. My son's an innocent bystander. He's a non-combatant. He is not, uh, this is against the Geneva Convention. You know, this is not the way that people fight. Leave my family, leave my boy out of it. And I just gotta tell you, in that moment that God met me and said, Cortez, you're pathetic said, I guess I should admire the fact that you'll defend your son, but the truth is I'm standing between, you don't have to stand between me and your son. I stand between you and your son. You're the far greater threat to your son. You realize that, don't you? And I love your son more than you've ever thought of loving your son. And you can trust him with me. I've got it. And I believe God. That didn't mean I believed that it would work out. That didn't mean I believed that God would save my son's life. That didn't mean I believed that God would save my son from paralysis. All I knew is it meant that I can't run the world and God can and I will trust him. And I'll tell you that that experience in my life changed my life. And I pull on that experience all the time. I remember it all the time. I pull it into today. You got it? A friend of mine did a funeral for a 12-year-old child who died of leukodystrophy. And after the funeral, he went to the house and there was a sign on the wall that said, in the little boy's bedroom, the sign said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to make mistakes. That's true. So let's finish. Creation, last thing, the allure of creation. Creation just... It, it just captures us, it's so alluring. Why? Because it reflects the beauty of the creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. It tells us who our father is, right? The, the visible reveals the invisible. That's what Romans one says. God's, the fact that God is and that God is glorious and that God is God is revealed through what he has made, right? And so we stand in creation, right? Whether you're you know, whether it's a toucan, whether it's an octopus, whether it's Santorini, whether it's um, Yosemite, right? And our, our, wow, we worship God. We are drawn to God by creation. All of creation sings the adoration and praise of God, right? It's alluring because it is in the image of our creator. Francis Collins is the foremost scientist in our country. 
He's been the head of the National Institutes of Health for a long time. He is, um, um, that was the head of the Human Genome Project, most probably powerful, life-changing um, scientific discovery in, in recent times. And here's his story. Collins said, one of his patients told um, Collins about her faith and she asked, well, what about you? What do you believe? He said, I stuttered and stammered and felt the color rising in my face and I said, well, I don't think I believe in anything. But it suddenly seemed like a very thin answer. Then after a long period of searching, which included grilling a pastor and reading C.S. Lewis, I decided to believe in some sort of God, right? Now I was being called to account on a beautiful fall day, hiking in the Cascade Mountains, the majesty and beauty of God's creation overwhelmed my resistance. As I rounded a corner and saw a beautiful and unexpected frozen waterfall, hundreds of feet high, I knew the search was over. The next morning, I knelt in the dewy grass as the sun rose and I surrendered to Jesus Christ, right? Creation, the beauty of God, the revelation of God grabbed his heart. Has it yours? Has it yours? The allure of creation. Don't say, I don't see God. Yes, you do. Don't say, I don't know God. Yes, you do. I don't know what he's like. Yes, you do. He's glorious. He reveals himself. But there's another reason nature's creation is so alluring. Because it has what we want. It has the blessing of God. It has the benediction of God. Good, 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 very good. Do you know how we long for that? Do you know, that's why little kids like to be the line leader. I got picked to be the line leader, right? We wanna be recognized, right? We wanna be all county in, in some sport we play. We want to be, graduate summa cum laude from, uh, from college. We want honor. We want distinction. We want something, someone to say to us, good. You're good. You have my affection. Do you know how many people have longed to hear that from their father? Well, I could sit here and tell you story after story of people who rush to their father's bedside in the hope in their death, in their last moments, that they'd get the benediction that was long withheld from them the blessing. And I could make an even longer list of people who said, my father left when I was five, he left when I was 10, I never saw him, I never heard from him. He never could get out of himself enough to be for me, to praise me, to recognize me, to call me, uh, to tell me as a young man that I had what it took. I lived without the benediction. I lived without the blessing. You realize the Bible is filled with this. You get the curse or you get the blessing. Adam and Eve had the blessing and they walked away from it. And they bequeathed to us the curse. And you know why we deserve the malediction? Because we've defied the designer, right? We said, no, we're not gonna follow your design, we'll do it our way. You know why we deserve the malediction? Because instead of worshiping the creator for the goodness of creation, we've loved the creation over the creator, right? Why do we deserve the malediction? Because instead of God governing the world, we've said we can do it better. We're gonna ignore you and your leadership. We'll run our own lives. We deserve the curse. 
and we need it. We see creation has the blessing of God, and we don't. Who had the blessing of God besides Adam and Eve at first? Who's the next person we ever meet who has the blessing of God? This is my beloved son, Jesus, at his baptism, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes into the world to take the curse that we have earned on himself and to freely grant us the blessing that he has earned for us. There it is. That's the only way we can have. Do you realize that voice inside of us, that inner critic that says, in that meeting, why did you talk so much? The things you said were stupid, you know? Nobody's gonna ask you to prom. You're ugly, you're awkward. That inner critic we live with um, in our life. The song of Genesis chapter one is a different song than the inner critic. Jesus in Gethsemane cries out to God, crickets. Jesus on the cross cries out to God, silence, cursed, so that we would have his pleasure. And creation tells you that. The smile, the delight, the joy of creation tells us there's a way. There's a way to have the blessing. This is my Father's world. So brothers and sisters, do you know who your daddy is? Run to him for the blessing. Let's pray. Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, thank you that you sing your song of benediction into our hearts that we might hear your voice, the blessing that every one of your creatures longs for, that we can have it because of you. Help us this morning to hear it. Change us, make us yours. Make us your happy creatures who love to worship you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.